How much do you know about Lady Bird Johnson? Yes, she was the first lady. Yes, Austin's downtown lake is named after her. Yes, we honor her when we see blue bonnets in the spring. But there was much more to this native Texan. Learn more about Lady Bird, the businesswoman, political advisor, and philanthropist in the exhibit Lady Bird, Beyond the Wildflowers at the LBJ Presidential Library. 9 to 5. Learn more at lbjlibrary.org. literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. We're with the Austin American Statesman. And and this is going to be very interesting, this episode. And I know the next one and maybe, and definitely some more on the horizon. You know, as uh, um, I was reading this from the new volume four of Indelible Austin, but it looks like, Michael, with the pandemic that we've dealt with in the last couple of years, you took some time to check in with a lot of historic Austin places in the arts. Mm-hmm. That had to endure and survive, you know, our most recent pandemic being no different. And on this one, you were checking in uh, with the Austin Symphony that's over 100 years old. That's right. I was looking at how arts groups in Austin survived war, a recession, depression, plague, you know, the, the flu in, in the uh, 19 aughts. And so I wanted to see what we could learn from that uh, while we were in our own plague. Austin Symphony is one of those that dates back to, there was some question over its original day, but you've, you've managed to locate a program dating from April of 1911. That's correct. April 25th, 1911. What I found is that the orchestra was led by a Dr. Hans Harthen. At the Hancock Opera House. Now, did you ever see the Hancock Opera House when you were a kid? No, I don't. No, I didn't. It I was never went down in the early 80s. And it was at West 6th Street and Congress Avenue. It was a very elaborate building. And at one time, it was the performance hall in town. But it's gone now. As you were looking at the history, like, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, the Spanish flu. That was 1918. World War I. <laughs> But there were no, you could not locate any programs for nearly 20 years, which you, you've spent your whole career, not only as a journalist, but very, very uh, embedded in arts world. Like someone would save every program yeah. of every show ever at any theater in, in the world, right? So this, actually that had to be perplexing. Yeah. Now, the symphony itself also has a, a fairly complete collection of its programs, including the April 25th, 1911. But there was a 20-year gap, and that always perplexed me. Why from 1918 to 1938 were there no archived programs around? And the the people with the symphony were just like, I don't know. They just lost them, whatever. But that wasn't <laughs> the case. There were no shows for that time. There were no Austin Symphony shows for those 20 years. So when the symphony says, we're, as they say now, we're 111 years old, 
well, <laughs> minus 20 because, uh, you know, I, I still think it's amazing that they survived all that time and they've been at death's door more than once, even in my tenure. Now, we don't know exactly why they stopped, but there's some, there's some clues in the date. I mean, for instance, World War I, mm -hmm. a lot of the young players might have gone off into the army. And also Spanish flu, as you mentioned, 1918 to 1919. And then after that, in the 30s, the Great Depression, you know, you didn't have any uh, extra money left over to uh, fund a symphony. But the other part of the puzzle, the mystery, is I think it was anti-German sentiment. Which Austin was heavily populated with German immigrants who came over, but you know, what, eight, late 1800s? 1840s through the late 1800s, and they were a significant part of Austin's population. They began to uh, disappear from public view somewhat during World mm -hmm. War One and World War II. Uh, understandably, German wasn't spoken in public. You no longer had German-language newspapers. And it was considered unpatriotic. Uh, you, they could be subversive. They could be spies who were speaking a language that the English speakers didn't understand. So the symphony and the opera, which in this country was uh, uh, often fueled by the love of classical forms uh, in German immigrant, Italian immigrant, and so forth communities, the Austin Symphony was associated in the public imagination with the Germans. And the, two of the first two conductors of the first conductors had German last names. And, and so I think I just infer from other reporting from this period that it might have seemed odd to to be supporting a, a, a such a heavily Teutonic institution in town. You know, even as I was growing up in, in Austin in the 80s, you know, it was still a small town. Mm -hmm. And lacked in arts. Now I think about going back to the 20s and 30s and 40s, the population of Austin <laughs> was very small to support a symphony. Absolutely. You're right. The only city in, in, in Texas that has supported a, a, a full-grown symphony early on was San Antonio. And they have traditionally stuck with a, a, a full-time symphony and it's been bad for them because that's extremely expensive. If you mm -hmm. promise to keep the musicians busy all year long and you're paying them union wages, that is something that a, a city our size can't uh, sustain. And, and San Antonio's opera company has gone under several times. The Austin symphony is a part-time symphony. The musicians are not full-time salaried, or it is anyone there, maybe a few a handful of people? Well, uh, Peter Bay is, and even okay. then, he's also conducting all over the country and mm. at summer festivals and stuff like that. But yeah, no, they, they perform by contract hours, and a lot of them are UT professors. Others are music teachers privately in their homes. They have other jobs. You know, through the years, the the musicians themselves 
have made it clear that they would like to be a full-time symphony because you, with all of that interaction, you end up making a better sound. But Mm -hmm. um, the more that I've looked at it and seen how full-time symphonies are failing in cities our size, I'm like, we're, I'm okay with a part-time symphony. They sound great now at the Long Center and under Peter Bay's baton. Well, if you've been in Austin for some time, about every fourth or fifth person you meet wants to be a full-time musician. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard in any kind of music. Uh, exactly. But, you know, so some of these uh, eras where there, there was no symphony, this gap, yeah. Right, there right. were some other things stepping in, like what was the Austin Little Symphony and also University of Texas Symphony? The, the dirty little secret of Austin culture is that for decades, the uh, University of Texas provided the culture for the city. It had the facilities. It had the money to pay artists. It was and, and kind of Austin got lazy. Austin mm-hmm. was... Just look to the University of Texas to provide their entertainment and instruction. But during that period when the Austin Symphony was quiet, the University of Texas Symphony uh, played. And there was something called the Majestic Theater Symphony Orchestra that performed at the Paramount. But I suspect it was a pit orchestra and not a regular, you know, standalone concert orchestra. Mm. And there was something in 1934 called the Austin Little Symphony, which gathered together amateurs to play, but it disappears from the record pretty quickly. And then when did it get like really active again from, from, you know, just continuous up until we'll get to when the pandemic hit here in 2020? 1938 when they came back. And at this point, the city leaders, the powers that be decided, hey, We're getting to be a real city. We need a real symphony orchestra. Mm. It continued to grow all through the 50s and 60s and 70s. I started hearing them at Bass Concert Hall on the UT campus in the 80s. And that was a terrible, terrible venue for them because it's big. It's Mm. acoustics are not appropriate for that size of an ensemble. It it just, it sounded uh, really weak. But then we got the Long Center for the Performing Arts, which transformed the sound of the symphony. And we got Peter Bay, who's been maestro now for, what is it, 20-something years. So, yes, uh, the symphony now is very respectable and, in fact, inspiring. They can play anything. I don't know if they, it's a love-hate thing for the symphony or not, but we, they always get a lot of publicity when it comes to 4th of July. Yeah. And and syncing with the the fireworks show. I've always thought that was really amazing. Well, it's a great calling card for the symphony and and they've been doing that for a long time. And but you're right, some people think that's just what they do. Right. <laughs> Form outdoors <laughs> from the long center while the fireworks are going off. So but they do much more. They have a pop series, they have a, a masterwork series. They have lots of smaller concerts as well all through the year, and they're a going concern. Well, it had to be hard-hitting for them as well with the pandemic, and that's part of the reason you wrote about this, checking in with these survivors from March of 2020 when the pandemic hit till now. What have they been able to do? 
Well, they, they initiated an excellent series of uh, uh, videotaped concerts of uh, small groups of, of musicians doing works that didn't require the full symphony. And they performed on the, the stage and they had excellent camera work and those were streamed online. But as I don't know how you felt about this, but as the pandemic drug on, these digital performances of what we usually see live began to really pale in comparison. They didn't have any of the the joy and the excitement and the liveliness of, of performances in person. Well, when they came back and they did Beethoven's Seventh Symphony at Riverbend Center, you know, out there on the, Lake Austin, for the first big sound, full orchestra performance, it was just mesmerizing. It was exciting. Uh, it was moving. It just reminded you why live performance of anything can be superior to even a, a well-recorded one. Boy, you make a good point. I think this, uh, <clears throat> a lot of people change their habits and priorities during the pandemic. But one thing that I picked up from uh, talking to a lot of people is they, they realized the things they were taking for granted. Live music is definitely one of them. Uh, so maybe as things continue to slide a little more towards normal from this, this pandemic that you know, people will get out and do this more and, and not take it for granted so much. And I also think the, the veering away from the routine of the past is something that's good for all of performers in town because now they treasure it as well. They went two years without an audience. And so they don't take it for granted. I've felt that from the stage many, many times since uh, in-person performances returned almost a year ago, but, and then it was periodic because they had to keep closing down every time. Yeah. They were oh, yeah. And by the way, to listeners, this is July, 2022 now. As things, like I was saying, as things get to back to normal, maybe don't take these for granted, get out and do it, support it. This is great that you checked in with that. You can read that article in volume four of Indelible Austin. Which is which is out now. Have you done any book signings yet for the new volume? I have. I have. And some very large ones. And I've uh, signed so far several hundred copies. And there will be more. And if you need a speaker for your event, for your club, for your church, for your business, look me up. M. Barnes at statesman.com. I'm glad to talk about anything historical about Austin or Texas and uh, sell a few books. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Very cool. Michael, thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Austin Found. Happy trails. <laughs>